Well, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we just want to extend a, a warm welcome to you. We appreciate you for coming and, and being with us. Uh, it's a good day to be in the Lord's house. Tiger Woods is in the hunt at the Masters. Turkey season opened up this weekend. Jesus is Lord. Next week is Easter Sunday, so it's a good day. Amen? It might be raining outside, but it's all good. Clay's been doing a sermon series on seeing Jesus, and he's been slaying it every Sunday. I mean, just incredible, incredible messages that, that just are full of, of revelation, full of, of insight. And, you know, the amazing thing about Jesus is the fact that when you think that you have gotten a grasp of who he is, you really find out once you get another revelation of him that you haven't even scratched the surface. And the Apostle Paul, he prayed for the believers in Ephesus. And he, he said, I pray that you might be filled with the wisdom and the knowledge of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, the, and revelation is, is something you need to know. is, is something that's always progressive. It's, it's always developing. You know, it's kind of like, you know, our salvation. You know, salvation is both instantaneous and, pro and progressive. We are saved, but we are being saved. It's like sanctification. We are sanctified, but we are being sanctified. And so uh, one of the things I love about Jesus is the fact that, that, that he's real, that he's alive, that there's so much more that's available. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I loathe religion. I, I loathe religiosity. I, I loathe half-hearted, lukewarm uh, just go through the motion, status quo Christianity. I believe God's trying to raise our expectation levels up higher than, than what we have at this point because it's very easy to get saved, be on fire for Jesus, join the church, and then become comfortable. You know, there's some folks that get saved by grace and paralyzed by it at the same time. You know, why is it rare that, that when somebody gets saved, they're on fire for Jesus, and, and five years later, it, it's rare to find that person even more on fire for Jesus than he was when he first got saved? You know, church has a culture within itself. We create a, a culture where we're so comfortable with where we're at that it's kind of like getting an a, a immunization shot. You know, we, 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 get, uh, uh, we get vaccinated with, with uh, enough of the virus that it doesn't have any effect on us. A lot of people, that's the way their relationship with Jesus is. They have just enough Jesus in their life that they, they, he doesn't make any difference in them. It there's no changing. But if we are following Jesus then we are increasingly being changed and transformed into his image. You know, I've often said that, that, you know, it's not the Lord's will for us to go to heaven. It's not God's will for you to go to heaven. God's will for your life is for you to become like the one who's going to take you there. The Bible says we've been predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. And today I want to talk to you about the real Jesus. You know, the, the greatest secret in the church today is the real Jesus. Let me say that again. The best kept secret in the church today is the real Jesus. Now, all throughout time, all throughout history, there's been a, a, a lot of people profess to, to, to be a Messiah, to be a Savior, to, to, to be somebody that's, that's important, somebody that... Um, uh, that they want the worship of, of the multitudes, but, but, but there's many Jesuses that are being presented out there, uh, millions of different views of Jesus from every sphere of society. So it's important that we know who the real Jesus is. And the best kept secret in the church today is the real Jesus. People are not looking for a, a, a new definition of Christianity. They're looking for a new demonstration of Christianity. It's one thing to offer people an explanation. It's another thing for them to have an encounter and an experience with the living God. There's a big difference between the two. So if you are a, prof a professing Christian and you have lost your fire, you've lost your desire, you've lost your hunger, your, your, your passion for Jesus, it's time for you to go back and do your first works over, to go back 
and pursue your first love because out of the overflow of that loving relationship with Jesus, it's a beautiful thing to follow him. Amen? So I'm going to talk about the real Jesus. If you've got your Bible with you, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 16. You see, all through the Gospels, we are warned that many false Christs will rise. We're warned that false prophets will rise. False teachers will rise. In the Apostle Paul's epistle to, second epistle to uh, the Corinthian church, he said that you won't be, need to be warned of another Jesus. In his epistle to the church at Galatia, he says, if anybody comes to you and preaches another gospel, there's a lot of alternatives out there. And if we don't know the real thing, the scripture tells us that there will be multitudes of people that will be led astray and will experience a mass deception that causes them to fall away from the, t- from the faith. The scripture says that false Christ and false prophets shall rise and deceive many. Now listen to what it says here. That if it were possible, even the elect of God shall be deceived. Now when we have, uh, or we think about end time events or eschatology, whatever you want to call it, you know, more people focus their, 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 uh, uh, their eye on being able to identify the Antichrist more than they do to try to identify the real Christ. Now, we're living in the end times. We're going to see a, a lot of things go down in, 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 in the world as Jesus returns. But if we don't know who the real Jesus is, we will be easily swayed to believe another gospel and another Jesus. Now, now here's a Jesus that's being, being preached from Christian church pulpits all across America. And that is a Jesus that only wants to make you a bigger, better version of yourself. It's Jesus and the American dream. It's Jesus and all the benefits. It's, it's a bloodless, it's a crossless, it is a, a, a self-denialist gospel that is void of any real power to bring transformation. See, there's a lot of people in the world today, they want Jesus, they want God, they want church, they want ministry. They just want all those things on their terms, and that's a false gospel. That is a false Jesus. That is a false Christ. And if we're not very careful, we will make God after our image instead of God making us in his image. So we don't come to Jesus for benefits. Benefits are available for us, but our motive is because we are lost, dead in our sins, separated from God, and we need a Savior. But if we don't know that we are sick with a terminal disease, we will never pursue pursue the person or the one that actually has the cure. So it's important that we know who the real Jesus is. All, all world religions will, will basically acknowledge that Jesus was a good man. But Jesus was not a good man. Jesus was the God-man. You know, there's, there's a lot of, of, of things that are portrayed that if you don't know who the real Jesus is, if you don't know what the Word of God says, it would be very easy for us to fall into deception and end up pursuing a false Jesus with a false promise of eternal salvation. And the reason I know that that's true is because he says not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody. Then it says these words. These are gripping words. He says, many, not a few, not a small group, Not a portion of the population. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not work miracles in your name? You know, did we not do this and that in in, in your name? And he says, I will say to them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. It doesn't say that, that you did know him once and now you no longer knew him. These people will have a false belief, a false assurance that they think that everything between them and God is good. That me and Jesus have our own thing going on and it's all good in the hood. 
But then Jesus says, depart from me. Many, not a few, many. So let's find out who the real Jesus is. Matthew chapter number 16. We're going to start reading at verse number 13. If you're there, say amen. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, that was the question, who do men say that I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now he poses the same question directly to his disciples. You would think Jesus knew what his disciples believed. And I believe he did know that, but he wanted to make sure that these men knew what they believed and what they believed was true. Listen to what he says here. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word of God. I pray today that your spirit and your word would work together to illuminate the scriptures in our heart and give us revelation of the real Jesus. I pray, Lord, that what I say will line up with what you once said. That, Lord, you would speak to us right where we are, that we would receive your word with gladness of heart, and that we would take it and allow it to take root in our heart and bear fruit a hundredfold. Help us to passionately pursue you, not on Sunday, but every day, that we may present and be a representation of who you are to those that are around us. So, Lord, open our eyes. Help us to behold the wonderful things written in your word. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Jesus Christ is the most loved and the most hated person in all of human history. More artwork has been made about him. More songs have been sung to him. More books have been written about him than any other person who has ever lived. Jesus' impact on earth was so huge, so enormous, that it has actually separated how we measure time. Our calendars are, are divided into a time period before his birth and then after his birth. So he separated time and eternity. The, the, the impact that Jesus has made cannot be denied. But there's a million different opinions of who Jesus is coming from every sphere of society. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at some of these opinions that the world has of Jesus. And then I want to look at what Jesus says about himself. So in your outline, I would encourage you to, to take it out and, and fill in these blanks and take a few notes because I want you to know who the real Jesus is. Listen, if you've not, if you don't have a hunger for his word, if you have no desire to know who Jesus is intimately, personally, powerfully, passionately, I doubt that you've ever met him in the first place. Because to know him is to love him. And to love him is to worship him. And to worship him is to serve him. And that was what we were created for. We were created to know and to love God and to serve him here on earth. Now, the first opinion I want to talk to you about is the Jesus of pop culture. If you can put this first one up here. The Jesus of, of pop culture. Now, you may have noticed Jesus is as popular today as he's ever been. You might be able to see him on some television shows. Jesus makes guest appearances on all kinds of different television shows. Everything from everything from, from The Simpsons to South Park to SNL to the A&E uh, Network Television. You know, he even, you, know, you even see uh, a Dog the Bounty Hunter and his bounty hunting team praying to Jesus to apprehend the fugitives that has jumped bail. Have you ever seen Dog the Bounty Hunter? You know, you, you hear them, they gather together and they're praying to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, 
Help us to apprehend the fugitive that has jumped bail. Help us to catch him, to beat him, to mace him, to cuff him, to cuss him, to smoke a cigarette with him, and then tell him how much you love him. You see that? that they're praying to Jesus, and all those things happen. I'm just kind of wondering whether a dog is really praying to the real Jesus or if he's praying to a Jesus that he's made up in his mind. See, none of us would bow down and worship a, a golden image, but we would be very likely to create a God in our mind to suit ourselves. Now, we wouldn't worship a graven image. We wouldn't bow down and, and commit adultery to a, to a golden calf or a golden image. At least that's what we think. But you know what? We may bow down and worship a Jesus that we've created in our minds, which is called intellectual adultery. We can create a God in our mind and we'll say things like, well, to me, Jesus is like this. Or to me, Jesus is like that. Now, how you view Jesus also determines how you'll represent Jesus. If you create a God to suit yourself in order to give you a license to do the things that Jesus in Scripture says that we are forbidden to do, what you will also do is create a moral code to go along with the God that you've created in your image. And that happens all the time. He, but Jesus, he, he makes all kinds of appearances. Jesus is also showing up in the world of fashion. You've probably seen him in a lot of different t-shirts. You know, one of the popular, most popular t-shirts back in the day was the t-shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. Anybody ever seen one of those? And, 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 and high-profile celebrities uh, would wear these shirts. Everybody from Madonna and Ashton Kutcher, uh, Ben Affleck, uh, Brad Pitt, Pamela Anderson, they're all rocking the Jesus is my homeboy uh, t-shirt. And so Jesus is in, in fashion. He is in style. So celebrities are, are wearing these t-shirts. And so there's, there's another Jesus in the Jesus of fashion. In the movies, there's been over a hundred films made about the life of Jesus. Uh, the, the, the two most popular ones or, or the two of the biggest grossing uh, movies that were created about Jesus is obviously The Passion of the Christ and The Da Vinci Code. These made millions and even billions of dollars at the box office. But probably the, the most bizarre movie ever made about Jesus is Jesus the Canadian Kung Fu Horror Music comedy called Jesus the Vampire Hunter. And that's a legit movie. I bet many of you have seen Will Farrell pray to an eight-pound, six-ounce baby infant Jesus with a golden fleece diaper in Talladega Nights. And he says, thank you, baby Jesus, for my smoking hot wife. Listen, that's kind of the mantra at our house. Except I don't pray to a baby Jesus. I pray to a, to a real Jesus. I said, thank you, Jesus, for my smoking hot wife. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Except when movies make a mockery of the Messiah. So he, he makes appearances in, in the movie. In the music world, everybody from rappers to rockers are singing about Jesus. You know, we, we see Green Day singing about Jesus, Soundgarden singing about Jesus, Bruce Springsteen singing about Jesus, YouTube singing about, or, or YouTube singing uh, about God. We, we see uh, Snoop Dogg singing about Jesus. We see Kanye West and his, you know, his, his album, The Passion of Conway, or Kanye. A mockery. But again, Jesus is popular in pop culture. And so you need to be aware that maybe, just maybe, the Jesus of pop culture is not the real Jesus. Because if the people that are wearing shirts and the rockers and rappers that are singing about him and the people that's wearing the, 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 the Christian uh, uh, wear of, of Jesus is my homeboy... If they really took what he said seriously, maybe they would live a little bit differently. But the Jesus of pop culture is not the real Jesus. 
And just because a celebrity wears the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt doesn't make them a Christian. Now let's look at the next one. That was the Jesus of pop culture. Let's look at the Jesus of the cult and the occult. Now, you may have heard that the majority of world religions teach the same thing about God. Well, in a certain tense, that may be true, but none of them teach what the Bible says about Jesus. They do not teach who Jesus said he really was. Now, if you were to ask a Jehovah Witness who Jesus was, they would most likely tell you that he was Michael the archangel, that he was a created being who became a man. If you were, if you were to ask a Mormon who Jesus was, they would probably tell you that Jesus was a polygamist and the half-brother of Lucifer. If you were to ask somebody involved in the New Age movement, they might be and take along the, the same kind of opinion as the man Deepak Chopra, who's a New Age guru, who once told Larry King that, listen how spiritual this sounds, that Christ is a state of consciousness that we can all aspire It is. It's very deep. Deep what? I don't know, but it's probably not deep in the gospel. But anyway, if you were to ask a Scientologist who Jesus was, they would probably say Jesus was the implanted force upon the Thetan about a million years ago. I would explain that to you, but... <laughs> I think you get my point. Such Jesus of the cult and occult. Meaning that's not the real Jesus. Let's look at the third group. The Jesus of, of world religions. You know, all major world religions will acknowledge Jesus, but they don't acknowledge him as being God in the flesh. You know, a Buddhist would say that Jesus was not God, but rather an enlightened man like Buddha. Hindus do not consider Jesus as the only God. Actually, Hinduism, they worship 330 million different gods. They would acknowledge that Jesus was most likely a, a wise man, uh, but he is as much God as anybody such as Krishna uh, or Muhammad or anybody else. Muslims would say that Jesus was a good man, that he was a prophet, but he was inferior to Muhammad. Gandhi said, I cannot ascribe exclusive divinity to Jesus. He is as divine as Krishna, Rama, Mohammed, and Zoroaster. That's the God of, or the Jesus of world religions. Let, let's look at the next one, the Jesus of the famous and the infamous. Now, Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, said this, Jesus did not mean to impose himself on mankind as the Son of God. That's a direct quote from our third president of the United States. Mikhail Gorbachev, for those of you who don't know, he was a leader of the Soviet Union back in the 80s and early 90s. He said, Jesus was the first socialist, the first to seek out a better life for mankind. So now we've got you know, the, the, the Jesus of the famous and infamous. Let's look at the next one. Let's look at the Jesus of the demons. Now, it's amazing to me that all throughout the gospel, people could never figure out who Jesus was. Some people thought that Jesus was demon-possessed. He said that he is a wine-bibber. He is, he is a heathen. He's a hypocrite. He's a blasphemer. They, they can't figure out who he is. Jesus asked in the text that we read earlier, he said, who do men say that I am? They said, well, that he was Elijah or Jeremiah or, or John the Baptist or, or one of the prophets. But the thing that is amazing to me is that every time the demons encountered Jesus, they had no question who he was. When Jesus encountered demons, the demons cried out and they say, we know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen, in the, in, the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, demons have some of the best Christology doctrine of anybody that you even read about. But yet, demons don't love Jesus. And we know that salvation is not available to Jesus. So we see the Jesus of pop culture. We see the, the, the Jesus 
of, of the infamous, famous and the infamous. We see the Jesus of the cult and occult. We see the Jesus of the world religions. We see the Jesus of demons. Now, let's see the Jesus of Jesus. Here, here's the real Jesus, okay? The real Jesus, number one, this is statements that Jesus made about himself, and, and it's important that we know what he said about himself. Number one, Jesus said that he was God. Now, we, you and I, we have the, uh, uh, the, the, the wonderful uh, opportunity to see this and know this in hindsight. Now, can you imagine believing in Jesus' time and Jesus comes and Jesus says these kinds of statements about himself? But Jesus himself, he makes the statement, he said that he was God. He said, I am the father of one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? I've said that a few times myself with church folk, you know. Many good things I've done for you. Which one of these do you stone me? Church people stone you. And profess Jesus at the same time. Amen. He said, we're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be who? Listen, throughout all of history, there's been people who claim to speak for God, but very few who actually claim to be God. Listen, Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, and Gandhi never claimed to be God, but Jesus repeatedly said that he was God. And because he said that he was God, people wanted to kill him for the sin of blasphemy. Now imagine if I got up here today... And I said, I've come to declare to you the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I am now becoming your Messiah. This day, the Scriptures are fulfilled in your ears. I am the Messiah. How weird would that be? How crazy would that be? How blasphemy, how big of a blasphemy would that be? But yet, that's what Jesus said about himself. He said, he said I'm God. Let, let's look at something else that, that he said. Not only did he say that he was God, he said that he came down from heaven. Now, what's the big deal about that? Now, there's a lot of people who have said that they've had near-death experiences and have been caught up into heaven. You, 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 know, you know what I'm saying? Have you heard about some of those? People that had near-death experiences, they, they, they experienced and were caught up to heaven. The apostle Paul, we know, as Scripture says, was caught up to the third heaven. So there's a couple of different heavens. Like the first heaven is the earth atmosphere. The, the second heaven is, is where Satan rules because he's the prince and power of the air. And then the third heaven is where the throne of God is. And the Bible says Paul was called up to the third heaven and he experienced it and heard things that were unspeakable, too deep for them to even understand. And so Jesus saying that he came down from heaven, what he was actually saying is, that I am the eternal God that has always existed in time, outside of time, throughout time, eternally. That's a pretty controversial statement. Coming down from heaven also was a statement of his incarnation. Listen, Jesus claiming to be God in the flesh is by far the most controversial statement that's ever been made. Hands down. I mean, go on any major news outlet. You, they'll let you talk about God. You can talk about God in general. You know, athletes, you know, when they win the Super Bowl, they go like, I just want to give glory to God. Right? And then they use his name as the cuss word after that, right? And then they beat their wife, and then they smoke pot, and then, you know what I'm saying, right? But they're going to give glory to God, right? But, but Jesus, making the statement that he was God in the flesh, is by far the most controversial statement anybody has ever made. Again, you can get on... Uh, 
any major news media outlet talk about God, but I dare you to get on major news outlets and say that Jesus is the only way to heaven and see what kind of thing happens. Everybody's good with God, they just hate Jesus. Why? Because of what he claimed and who he claimed to be. He claimed to be God. He claimed to come down from heaven. Never once did he say that, that he uh, went up to heaven first. He said he came down from heaven, then he will return to heaven. He's saying, I am the eternal God, and so therefore he's making himself God in the flesh. Now, here's the third, or, or the third thing. This is a very controversial statement. And the truth is, very few church people, about 50 maybe 60% actually believe this next statement is true. And that is, Jesus said that he was sinless. Now, being sinless doesn't mean that you are a good person. That's not what sinless means. Sinless means moral perfection in thought, word, and deed. So when Jesus is saying that he was sinless, he said, I am morally perfect in my thought life, what comes out of my mouth, and how I live my life. I am perfect in every way. Jesus said that he was sinless. He said, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Now, a lot of people, they, they try to uh, come up with stories that would make Jesus look like he was a liar. You know, again, they didn't like the fact that, you know, he blasphemed. They said that he was a blasphemer, so they wanted to crucify him. You know, they didn't crucify Jesus because uh, he rebuked the religious leaders. They crucified him because of what they believed he was committing blasphemy. But Jesus said that, that, that he was sinless. And all throughout the gospel, you hear Jesus uh, calling people to repentance we see Jesus being tempted to sin, but nowhere in Scripture do you see Jesus repenting because he never committed sin. He lived his life as God in the flesh was tempted just like we were, and the book of Hebrews says, yet without sin. Now, if I were to tell you that I was sinless, that'd be a different story. But Jesus being sinless is a very controversial statement as well, Jesus said, I come down from heaven. He, he said that he was God in the flesh. He said that he lived a sinless life. Now listen to this. Multitudes of people in the church today believe that Jesus sinned while he was here on earth. Well, listen, there's no such thing as a Savior who has sinned. A Savior that has sinned could never be the sacrifice that we need in order for our sins to be forgiven. That's why the book of Hebrews said that it was impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sin. It would cover sin, but there was always a reminder that next year there had to be a sacrifice offered again for our sin. But Jesus said, I am the Lamb of God, or John said, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, we, we see that our sins were covered. It's like taking this cloth, putting it over something, and it hides what's underneath. But if you look underneath this cloth, you'll see that there's something underneath there. In the Old Testament, the blood of goats and bulls only covered our sin. It didn't take it away. So every year there had to be atonement made with the blood of animals, of bulls. That's why all those sacrifices in the Old Testament were instituted because of sin and because of the sacrifice needing to be made for the sins of people. The Bible says even the high priest had to offer sacrifices for his own sin. But when Jesus came, he was not a lamb of God. He was the lamb of God. And John said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus didn't come to cover our sins. Jesus came to take them away. And there's a big difference between the two. Some of you live your life knowing what I just told you, but not believing what I told you was true. But you still walk in guilt. You still walk in shame. You still walk in condemnation as if you've not been forgiven. 
Now, I promise you, if you take that on as your identity, you're going to continue to allow guilt to gain more and more control of your life. And I can tell you something, God never uses guilt to lead us. Guilt doesn't lead us, guilt drives us. I mean, this is a true story. I remember when I first got saved, and I was trying my best to, to live right, not to go back out and drink and do drugs. And I was, with my whole heart, I loved Jesus. Well, one night, I had a dream that I went out and I partied. And I, and I, got, I got high, I got drunk. I, you know, I was you know, under the influence of everything coming and going. I woke up that morning, and that dream was so real to me that I lived that entire day until that evening thinking that I did all of those things that I dreamed about. Now, I know that's crazy. But that was the kind of bondage that I was in. Satan will even attack you in your dreams. And I remember coming home finally that evening, and, and it was just like my eyes were open. I went, whew, that was, that was a dream. That was a dream, and I was struggling with guilt, and I was struggling with condemnation. I was struggling with shame, and I remember saying to myself, you know what, if, if, if I'm doing the best that I possibly can and still feel guilty, shameful, like a horrible human being, I'm going to give myself a reason to feel that way. Because guilt condemns guilt shames, guilt smears, and guilt will drive you away from Jesus instead of drawing you near to Jesus. So, multitudes of people believe that Jesus sinned. Listen, 41% of adults believe that Jesus sinned while he was here on earth. These are in church. 40% of teenagers that claim to be born again believe that he sinned. 52% of teenagers who attend a Protestant church believe that Jesus committed sin while he was here on earth. And I can just go ahead and say unequivocally, if you believe that Jesus sinned, then he can never save you. So are you saying that I have to believe that he was sinless in order to be saved? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Why? Because that's what he said. But yet, we think, well, that's unrealistic. You know, nobody can live that way. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that he came from heaven, that he was God, that he was sinless. And he even asked the question, can you prove, can any of you prove me of any sin that I committed? That, that's who he said that, that he was. Here's, here, here's the next one. Jesus said this. Here's a, here's a very controversial statement. Jesus said that he was the only way to heaven. I've seen a lot, and I'm not going to name names because that's not who I am, but I see a lot of high-profile pastors, superstar pastors, celebrity pastors, pastors of mega churches where they've been interviewed on different talk shows and have been asked, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? And they say things like this. Well, to me, yeah, he's the, to me, I'm not saying to, to you, but to me, I'm saying, yeah, he's, he's the only way. For me, for me. I mean, no backbone just to quote what Jesus said. Well, do, you know, I don't believe Jesus was the Son of God. Am I still going to hell? Well, I'm not to judge people. I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, again, politically correct, you know, yeah. And again, we've given, we've been hateful, mean-spirited, uh, harsh, and a poor representation of God to other people. But here's the other thing. If you really believe in a literal hell, and people that have never met Jesus actually go there and you never tell them about it, you're the one with the evil heart. I mean, how bad do you have to hate somebody not 
to go and tell them if you die in, their, in your sin, you're going to be eternally separated from God. And again, I'm not saying being this religious, you know, fanatic. I'm talking about having genuine concern for people. Paul talked about having a burden for people. He said, he said I'm deeply grieved. He said, I'm moved to the depths of my core. I'm burdened for my people. And he said these words, and we know it's true, because the Scripture has been divinely inspired by God. He loved people so much, he said, I would go to hell on behalf of my brethren of Israel if they would come to Jesus. Now, I have not reached that place yet. But Paul did. Jesus had no problem looking at people and saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me, but through me. That, this is what Jesus said of himself. He said that he was the only way to heaven. There's not a Buddhist way. There's not a Mohammed way. There is not a, a Hindu way. There's not an a, a Islamic way. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the door. He didn't say that I am a door. Listen, a lot of people believe there's, a, there's many different ways to God. I wish that were true. But if you believe the Bible, then you know that is 100% completely false because Jesus said there's only one way and I am that way. And we have to know this and not just know it with head knowledge. We have to have the conviction enough in our heart to live that out and to be able to speak it out of our mouth if we're asked that question. And it happens. It happens all the time. You know what? He said, I am the door. I'm not a door. He said, I am the door. If there are any other doors, they are trap doors that will ultimately lead you straight to hell. Now, I know that this may be kind of harsh. It may be difficult to hear. It may be uh, offensive. But I'm not the one that's standing here saying this. I'm just repeating to you what the real Jesus said about eternal things that are very significant and important for us to know, believe, and live. It's not enough to be a churchgoer. Amen? Billions of people, billions of people believe that there's many different ways to God. Now, here's the last thing. The last thing is, Jesus performed miracles. Now, look what he says here. He says, why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said that I'm God's son. Do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles. He said, believe the miracles. He said, the miracles ought to be enough for you to believe that I am the Son of God. He, he tells them plainly. He says, I'm God in the flesh. No man comes to the Father but me. That he's the only way. That he come down from heaven. That he's sinless. That he's God in the flesh. That he is the door, not a door. And he says that if you don't believe any of the statements that I made, I've got miracles to prove and show you that I am God's son. I'm doing the work of the Father. If the Father's not in me, I wouldn't be doing these miracles. But see, there was groups of people in Jesus' time. You know, the, the, the Greeks, they were caught up in miracles. Or not, not the Greeks, but, but, but the Jews, they, they, they wanted to see signs. They wanted to see fireworks. The 4th of July was their favorite holiday. But the Greeks were much more sophisticated, a little more dignified, had a, 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 a proud intellect that said, I'm not going to believe unless there is wisdom presented. And it's not wisdom for me to believe what Jesus said about himself. So there's groups of people that just believe because they think, you know, it's the wise thing to do. There's other people that believe because of the miracles that he's done. But we have to take the real Jesus at his word. And this is what he says. He says, if you don't believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, then believe the miracles. Now, these are all things that Jesus said of himself. 
Jesus made claims that the miracles he performed was proof that he was God. There's nearly 40 specific miracles mentioned in the New Testament. In the Gospel of Mark alone, there's around one-third of the verses that are dedicated that he wrote that deal with the miracles that Jesus performed. So this is what Jesus said. They can go ahead and come to the music. So here's the question. Here's the bottom line. Here's here's the deal. See, God God doesn't say, "Let's, let's make a deal. He said, this is the deal. He didn't come down from, Moses didn't come down from Mount Sinai with the 10 suggestions. He come down with 10 what? Commandments. Jesus looked at religious people all the time and he said these words to them. He said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I ask you to do? So you can't say no, Lord, and mean it at the same time. Yes, there is doctrine that we need to believe. Yes, there, there is biblical scripture that, that is important for us to know, but it takes more than just head knowledge. We have to have a heart knowledge if we're truly going to know who the real Jesus is. Because Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And he begins to list. They say that you're Jeremiah, that you're Elijah, that you're John the Baptist, you're one of the prophets. Then he says to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I say that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, notice what Jesus says here to him. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. See, you can only know Jesus from revelation of the Father. See, it's not enough for you to have biblical knowledge. James said, you believe in God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Now you think about this statement. Think about what James said the demons believe. He said, first of all, demons believe in God. We, we show, we, we, I pointed out that the demons always were able to identify who Jesus was. They never questioned his identity, did they? They cried out that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we know that demons have good, sound doctrine that they believe, and then what they believe about Jesus is scripturally accurate. Meaning that they believe Jesus is the Son of God. They believe in eternal judgment. They believe Jesus died on the cross. They believe that he was raised from the dead. They believe that he was sinless, and they believe that he is coming back again. So it's possible for you to sit here this morning and be soundly accurate in your Bible doctrine but still lost and on your way to hell. Even the demons believe. But it goes a little bit farther. Not only do what they believe is accurate and right what they believe about Jesus moves them emotionally the Bible says and they tremble so in their mind in their head they have doctrine that is perfect accurate scripturally sound but they're not going to heaven they can never be saved they are, they are eternally lost and according to scripture they'll be cast into the lake of fire forever and forever and forever along with all of those that die in their sin not only do what they Because here's what we do at church. We come to church and we mentally acknowledge that what you're hearing from the pulpit is right. But there's no application of what you hear in your life. He, James went on to say, don't be hearers of the word only, but be what? Deceiving yourselves. If we don't take Jesus at his word, 
if we don't apply it to our life, if we don't read Scripture with a humble heart and assume that He's talking to us and He's giving us instructions, then we really don't believe what we say we believe. See, we only live what we believe. Everything else is just religious talk. But here's the demons. They believe in their head. They have head knowledge of who Jesus is. And then what they believe about Jesus is it moves them emotionally. I wonder how many people are in our churches, in this church and churches all across this land this morning that are basing their eternal salvation because they know doctrine accurately or because they came to an altar and were moved emotionally and cried tears that were void of changed hearts. This is by far the most important thing, issue, that you are confronted with today. What you believe, why you believe it, and knowing Jesus personally should be the most important thing in your life. Don't take my word for it. Take His word for it. Now, I believe that I've got a word from God that goes along with the prophetic word that was given earlier. And this is what I believe God is expecting of us, okay? See, the only way to know the real Jesus, the only way to encounter the real Jesus, the only way to experience on a personal level the real Jesus is to take Him at His word and then be obedient to Him. Let me explain. Jesus said in John 14, 21, He said, He that obeys me, it is Him who loves me. And because He loves me, the Father will love Him. And listen to what He says. And I will manifest myself to Him. You want to encounter, do you really want to encounter Jesus in a personal, powerful, real, genuine way? Then He requires something of you, and that is obedience. One man said, we have no business trying to explain God to other people until we first obey Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and my commandments are not burdensome. I'm not talking about trying to earn our salvation. I'm talking about serving Jesus with a loving heart. And out of the overflow of that, we experience Him in incredible ways. You see, faith makes all things possible. Love makes all things easy. Faith makes all things possible. Love makes all things easy. But Jesus said, if you really want to encounter me, if you really want to know me, if you want to know the real Jesus, he said, then it's time for you to take a step of obedience. Hebrews 5.9 says, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. Listen to this. To all who obey him. He's not Savior for everybody. He could be. He wants to be. He died so he could be. But he said, having been perfected, he became the eternal salvation to all who obey him. And some of you, you're here, just stand with me. I'm wrapping it up. Some of you will never know the real Jesus until you lay aside your sophisticated, dignified, under control self and understand that it's not enough to have right theology and doctrine. 
and it's not enough to be moved emotionally for some reason or the other but God is requiring you to take a step of faith and he said my promise to you if you do is I will manifest myself to you stand with me some of you you're never going to know what it's like for God to use you until you take a step of obedience to God and say God I want you to use me you know what it may sound crazy and it may sound bizarre and it may sound super strange but you know what if you're really a Christian we believe stronger or stranger things than this See, what we're trying to do is we're trying to become like the world in order to win the world, and that doesn't work. See, what you and I believe, if we really believe it, super weird. We believe a dead man came back to life, and he's the Savior of the world. That's pretty weird. You know what's weirder than that? We also believe this dead man that came to life, who's the Savior of the world, is coming back on a white horse believe that that's weird that's so weird I mean that is so bizarre so strange but yet we want to try to just keep it together be dignified be holy and what we say we believe is the weirdest thing the world has ever known Paul said that it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching that men might be saved. But I'm telling you, Jesus is God. That Jesus lived a, sin, uh, a sinless life. That he died on the cross for your sins. That he was raised from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven and he's coming back again really soon. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? If you're not ready, I plead with you before you leave, get ready. Well, how do I get ready? Will you just come and you bow at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, save me. Forgive me. See, you can't impress God with big words and fancy prayers. But from a sincere and genuine heart, he will hear your prayers. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us. C.S. Lewis said this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or he would be the devil of hell himself. But you must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or he is a madman or something worse you can shut him up for a fool you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God but let us not come with any nonsense that Jesus was a great human teacher he never left that open for us to debate So before you say you're a Christ follower, you better realize what you're saying. Because some of this stuff is way out there. Let's pray. Father, we believe that the best days for your church are still yet ahead. And Lord, we renounce our allegiance and our dependency to status quo stagnant lukewarm Christianity that is void of any power to change and Lord we ask you to come and do work in our hearts to the point to where we are stripped down to the bare motive of why we're following you and that Lord you would rebuild the life that you want us to live you said no man who seeks to save his life or he will lose it, but he who loses it for my sake, the same shall save it. Help us to lose our life in you. 
Because, Lord, you're the giver of all life. If you're here this morning and God's saying, I'm requiring a step of obedience from you, and that step of obedience is to get out of your seat, come up to this altar, and say, I need a Savior. Again, he said if you're obedient to him, he will manifest himself to you. Jesus never turned away anybody that came in faith. Faith is what it takes to please Him. The rest of you, maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, I really want to break free. I have a desire to really go after Jesus hard. I, I, I want to serve Him, but I find myself in a rut. I found myself in the, going through the motions and I want to break free. And Jesus is saying to you, now I'm going to require an act of obedience from you. I want you to get out of your seat and come and tell me what you want me to do for you. You always do what you've always done. You always have what you've always had. And if you want something more than what you've experienced, then you have to do something different than what you've already done. As they sing and as they play, if God's speaking to you, I encourage you to get out of your seat. Here's your opportunity to respond to Jesus. He's the one that you.